So I'm pretty sure that uh, somebody at Google has an algorithm that knew that lots of stuff was going to go down today because Google kept us from recording on our usual Monday night slot, as, as you two well know, um, but our listeners might, might not. So uh, the fact that we get to talk about certain newsworthy items, both euphoria-inducing and anger-inspiring, uh, th- thank you, Google Hangouts, for making that happen. Also for making Leanne drink more than she otherwise would have. I'm not really complaining about that. <laughs> just just pretend complaining. I'm just complaining just to complain, but I'm not actually upset about it. I know you love Germany. Is that a German trait there or just straight up American? I think it's just Leanne. Okay, right on. Hey, hey, welcome in. This is Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. I am Adam Taylor. Uh, joined tonight by Leanne Elston and Jason Anderson. We are all from blackandredunited.com. Ben Bromley is on assignment uh, in Brazil. As far as I know, he's hitchhiking his way back to the district for the game tomorrow night, where he will actually be at the stadium for a weeknight game. Did, you, just confuse, did you confuse Brazil with Baltimore? Did I say Brazil? Yeah. Yes, you did. <laughs> I have no you idea win. how I did that. He think... went back in time to the World <laughs> Cup. Well, I think... <laughs> I think it's a better story if he's hitchhiking from Brazil. It's to true. Get to RFK. It's true. I was wondering if that was just like a weird joke you were making, and I was going to go with it. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad you were going to go with it, but it was not intentional. It was just me mistaking Baltimore for Brazil. I mean, it's a common mistake. Every really. all the time. <laughs> um, anyway, Ben is not with us tonight on assignment in either Baltimore or Brazil. I can can't confirm which. Um, we are all from blackandredunited.com where you can find us writing about DC United and more and more the U.S. women's national team as the World Cup is set to begin this weekend. We're going to talk about that to close the show. Before we get to that, though, we'll talk about four different DC United games because, Jesus Christ, MLS schedulers, what the <laughs> hell is wrong with you? We have four games over the, the previous week and the coming week to talk about. There is a about. game going on right now, probably. Yeah, there very well could be. We also ben have... watching it. He's on assignment. It's in Brazil. <laughs> it is in Brazil because there wasn't enough travel in the last two weeks. <laughs> we also have a metric buttload of news to talk about, and so we are going to try to power through all this and get it all done inside of an hour, and we will inevitably fail at that. So this is probably going to be a supersized edition of Filibuster for your listening pleasure. And, of course, before we get to anything... Leanne, what are you drinking? All right, tonight, so, not last night. Yeah, tonight. well, no. Well, first of all, last night, I there was one beer in my fridge left over from like four tailgates ago, and it was a Yingling, so it wasn't that exciting. But it was a Yingling, and that's what I was going to drink, and I opened it, and then we didn't podcast, so I drank that last night. And like I said, that was the only beer I had, so... I mean, it was getting lonely. You really put it out of its yeah. misery. It was a tough Monday, so I was like, this is fine. And... <laughs> So tonight, also a tough Tuesday. So tonight it is, um, you know, my classic Trader Joe's three buck Chuck. It's Pinot Grigio, and it's doing the trick. All right, glad to hear that. Jason, what are you drinking? Uh, well, those the people that came to the uh, the tailgate, the Black and Red United tailgate, may have 
been a party to. I don't actually think too many people noticed it because we ended up doing it uh, sort of hurriedly at the end. Uh, but Ben and I uh, put down our uh, state versus state uh, battle for a second and traded beers. And he's not here, of course. He is in Maryland, which uh, <laughs> I think means you win. Yeah, it clearly means I, I, I win a decisive victory. No, he's in Brazil. Abandoned, abandoned, uh, <laughs> Brazil's in Maryland. Immediately to come to, to Maryland. Um, but I traded him two, two uh, Maryland beers for two Virginia beers, and one of those Virginia beers, that, which I am choosing to drink because it's it's super humid, um, even after yesterday's uh, horrific downpour that also D.C. United played two games during. Um, it is both a, against Houston. Yes, both against Houston, both with power out the entire time. Um, but uh, this is a Devil's Backbone Gold Leaf Lager. Uh, it's a Munich-style lager, and its uh, I've never had it before. I've never even seen it because the one liquor store near me that sells Devil's Backbone doesn't carry this, but uh, it's pretty good. Uh, for a humid night, it's not its not too bad. As for me, uh, regular listeners of the show know that I, I've slowly been working my way through Michter's various offerings of, of whiskey. I, I've had, I had their sour mash a few weeks ago last season, or maybe earlier this season, I had their American whiskey, both very good offerings. And so when I went to Schneider's on Capitol Hill to grab uh, some beer before uh, the game on Saturday, before the black and red United tailgate, which was awesome. You both were there. And mm-hmm. I know uh, we have lots of listeners who, who came and it was lots of fun. And thank you all for coming. We're, we're working on setting another one up, uh, hopefully for later this season. But uh, when I was at Schneider's, I, I, I always peruse their whiskey selection because there's always something new and exciting there, and, and Saturday was no exception. Uh, Jason, I told you last time I had Michter's that, that I would get their rye when it wasn't 60 bucks for mm-hmm. a bottle. Uh, I lied. <laughs> you couldn't hold it. Because they Schneider's got a release of – or an allocation – just to make it very MLS, an allocation <laughs> of six bottles of Michter's brand new, released last week, uh, limited edition barrel okay. strength rye whiskey. Okay, see, I haven't had that yet. It I is had their standard Michter's rye. Yeah, and it, it is you know I mean it's barrel proof and it's rye, so right. it's like you jack up the price a couple of times, and it was more than I, I normally pay for an everyday bottled whiskey. And so this will not be an everyday bottled whiskey, except for the last two days because I poured some yesterday thinking we were going to podcast and then we were unable to, and so I poured some more tonight because I had to brag about this on the show, and so I had to drink it during the show, uh, which which means I get to drink this delicious, smooth, spicy, wonderful, hundred and nine point four proof whiskey two nights in a row so damn you technology <laughs> hate you so annoying let's get to the news i guess uh we will start with with various news items that have happened in mostly in the last 24 hours or almost entirely in the last 24 hours and then we will get to actual soccer uh chronolo- chronological order work for you guys on this I guess. Right. I feel kind of unstuck in time with the assault of news that we we're just constantly under, so uh, any any structure you can place around it would probably be helpful. All right. I will probably go with a narrative structure that includes lots of flashbacks, occasional <laughs> flash forwards, and then in the last season there will be an alternate timeline that doesn't make any sense until the last episode and an ending that makes everyone really angry. Is this... Is are, this we, like, is it, are we in a hatch? 
Uh, I'm going to hatch. Is there I'm pressing a polar a button. bear? I'm pressing a button every 108 minutes. I don't oh know what God. you guys are doing. We're, we're going to all find out that we've all been in Ben's dream. Yeah. <laughs> no, that, that was L.A. Law. That was L.A. Law, not Lost. I thought that was Newhart. Or it was Newhart, you're right. I think L.A. Law did something similar, though. I mean, the, ever, the it's, it was all a dream that somebody's had is like one of the most beat-to-death uh, stereotypes. So yeah. Ben's That's dream. why Lost didn't do that. Yeah, luckily Lost didn't do they that. They did something more stupid. <laughs> all right, uh, not stupid. DC United's CONCACAF Champions League draw. Uh, the black and red were drawn into Group H last night at a ceremony that was really stupid. Um, lots of swirling balls in, in bowls and then pulling a hand out to show that and, they weren't grabbing and, and, one early and then reaching back in. It was really bizarre and really awkward and completely unnecessary. But DC United got a good draw out of it. Uh, we, we get to play visit the same two countries we visited last year in the group stage of the Conca champs. Uh, we will be facing Montego Bay United out of Jamaica and Arabe Unido out of uh, Panama. So this is possibly the first group in CONCACAF Champions League history to have three different Uniteds in it. That is my made-up trivia for the night. You're welcome. Fun, You're probably right, because there just aren't that many candidates. Yeah, that, that's what I'm thinking. So I, I feel pretty comfortable in saying it, but it is completely made up. I did no research whatsoever. <laughs> uh, Jason, is, is this a good draw, as everyone seems to think it is? Just like last year's against Waterhouse and... Uh, Tauro. Tauro, thank you. Yes, uh, yes uh, it definitely is. Um, it's, it's, when you look at the, the way that United... W- w- first of all, at the con- to go back to the draw, for, the draw itself for a second, um, CONCACAF didn't release the, the process that they were going to follow until literally the, during the draw they explained what they were going to do. So all the information that was on the internet was based on last year's draw, and the structure of last year's draw made it look a certain way. And then at the last moment, they said they were actually going to move all of the MLS and Mexican teams into one pot and then divide the other two pots based on perceived strength, basically. Um, there was no so, rhyme or reason to it. Right, and, and, and country where they came from. If there's you right. know, the Panamanian teams wouldn't be drawn against each other, Costa Rican teams wouldn't be yeah. drawn against each other. Um, yeah, but, so what was supposed to happen was United was supposed to be in a weaker pot. Right, right, with, pot B, with, because we didn't win the, sh- the Supporter Shield or the MLS Cup. Right, and that's what happened last year, and we still managed to get a good draw out of it. This yes. year, though, we actually, the, the format favored us getting a good draw a little bit more so because the best teams from Central America suddenly were also available to the Galaxy and the Sounders. Right, and... Um, yeah, because b- before basically we had a 25% chance of landing a the weakest team available to. But the old draw, the there were four teams we couldn't get in pot A and four teams we could basically. Mm-hmm. Um, now this time it was much different, and um, as you said, the whole the whole thing was kind of silly. Um, they were announcing fun facts like that the Vancouver Whitecaps play in Major League Soccer, um, <laughs> but uh, the draw itself is pretty much. Yeah, I'm tempted to say it's, it's it's as good as can be, except the the Galaxy might have gotten an equally good draw, um, depending on whether Arabe Unido or Comunicaciones uh, from Guatemala ends up being the better team. Um, LA did get the winner of the Caribbean Football Union's tournament, whereas um, I believe the team that they got in their group beat the team that we got, Montego Bay, on penalty kicks, so it's pretty even. 
Um, I don't I don't pretend to know much about Montego. Um, they haven't been a Jamaican power uh, in recent years. I can tell you that much. Um, but then Waterhouse uh, as well sort of came out of nowhere over two or three years. So um, Arabi Unido, on the other hand, they've been in a bunch of Champions Leagues. Um, definitely these games are not going to be pleasant. Um, Arabi Unido's history in the Champions League is full of just the pretty much amoral soccer. Um, a lot of play acting, a lot of attempts to provoke uh, red cards, to con the referee, um, to yell at the other team's bench, all kinds of, j- just the worst of the Champions League, basically. It has often involved Arabe Unido. Um, hopefully things have changed for them. They didn't make the tournament last year, so maybe they've um, turned over a new leaf. But um, I doubt it. They had had multiple different coaches over the years, and it didn't seem to change anything. So uh, I think United needs to prepare for some very mentally challenging games against them. But skill-wise... Um, I would imagine that, if anything, Tauro last time kind of shot themselves in the foot in the first game. It being a four-game four uh, process, you really can't screw up. at the, the Your first game, you have to win, basically. And they lost at home to Waterhouse last time, and they kind of, sort of killed themselves immediately. Um, assuming that doesn't happen again, uh, we might see a closer to full-strength Arabe Unido, whereas Tauro was sending youth players. They, to RFK, they sent basically a kid's team. Um, so that probably won't repeat itself, but it's still a, an extremely favorable draw. I mean, Seattle ended up with Vancouver and Olympia from Honduras, uh, who were a quarterfinalist in, in this spring's uh, knockout round. Um, Club America got CD Motagua. That's a pretty strong Honduran team. Uh, RSL got uh, Municipal from Guatemala. And then Santa Tecla, who's also uh, kind of come out of nowhere in El Salvador. But it's still probably a tougher group than we got. Um so things turned out pretty well. I mean, we could have ended up with Saprisa. Um, that would have been bad. Um, ending up in the group with uh, that Corretero, uh, Ronaldinho's team, they ended up in a group with um, that looks right now like it's extraordinarily easy, but uh, it involves the that would involve the team from Belize, uh, Verdes FC, not being taken out of the competition for not having a stadium, which has happened every single year. Um, and in which case they will be replaced by the best remaining Costa Rican team, which is terrible news for everyone in that group. That's how Herediano got in last time, and they ended up in the uh, semifinals. So this really went about as about as smoothly as possible for DC United. All right, let's move on to the next bit of news, which dropped this morning um, when Jonathan O'Connell of the Washington Post uh, published his report that. DC United has been looking at stadium sites in Northern Virginia, specifically Woodbridge and more importantly, Loudoun County. That seems to be where the actual focus, if there is, if you can call it focus, is. Apparently, uh, Virginia Governor Terry McAuliffe, uh, big former head of the Democratic Party, and Jason Levian obviously uh, has a history of uh, being a fundraiser and a an actor within the Democratic Party, so they they very well could know each other going way back. Uh, but but McAuliffe and Loudoun County uh, pitched uh, DC United on leaving bailing on the Buzzard Point Stadium deal that they agreed to with the District of Columbia last year and moving out to Virginia, um, saying that that Virginia could build them a stadium or get a stadium built 
faster. They could open in 2017 instead of 2018, which is what it looks. Buzzard Point would be uh, for less money and all these tax incentives will be no problem because Virginia just loves rolling over and giving tax incentives. It's what they live for down there. Um, this made a lot of us pretty angry, um, me included. I, I wrote a, a nice little screed on blackandredunited.com about why this is really bad and, and fury-inducing. And I'll go into that in a minute, but Leanne, I'm curious what your thoughts are. Um, I agree that it's really bad and fury-inducing. And I, I mean, I live in Northern Virginia, not, not as far out as Woodbridge or Loudoun County, but, like, no. I just, I just like to say, like, that's all you have to no. say. No. Like, I, I just, like, I, I can be succinct with this. Can we just not do that? <laughs> yeah, and I think a lot of people are, are kind of almost rolling their eyes at it. I know that that was the response of um, DC Mayor Muriel Bowser and the head of the DC Council, Phil Mendelson. They were both kind of listen. We've worked with the team, and we think there's a very good offer for them on the table. And in fact, we think they're locked into that offer and cannot walk away at this point, um, which would be fine by me. A lot of people have speculated that, that this is a bargaining tactic a negotiation ploy by the team because uh, the Bowser administration and the council have been trying to change some terms that were not at the center of the deal, but which they've been insisting on terms that are less favorable than the team would like, which is what happens in a negotiation. Both sides insist on things the other side doesn't want. That's, that happens. So there are some rumors that this was a temper tantrum of sorts by the team, but I think there could be more to it than that. Either way, it's not a good look for, for the team. The, this deal happened when Jason Levian took over negotiations from Kevin Payne, essentially, and stopped negotiating in public, stopped trying to say, listen, if you don't give us what we want, we're going to move and that'll be the end. They stopped doing that and said, we want to be in the city. That is our first, last, and only option that we care about right now. We are not engaging any other jurisdictions. And that's when progress started to happen, was when posturing stopped and the team started, the, the club, the, the organization, started playing ball. And now it sounds, if this is a negotiating ploy, then it sounds like they're going back to Kevin Payne's failed playbook instead of what got them here. And that seems like a really bad decision. And if it's not just posturing, if they actually are considering moving the team from the center of the region to an area on the far western edge of the region, that also seems like a really stupid decision. Jason, I'm sure you agree with that coming from the far eastern edge of the region like you do. Well, I want to be clear. My, no, are, are you from Maryland? Uh, it turns out. It turns out. It's what? A, a quietly kept secret on this show. Um, but despite the fact that this it's pretty much a, um, a weekly joke uh, on the show, um, I want to say when they talked about moving the team into Maryland, I was against that. Um, and I, it's not about what's easiest for me. Uh, what's easiest for me, at one point, the PG County deal would have been between where I worked and where I lived at the time. Uh, I could have... Uh, walked there and it would have been a, uh, I could have walked there. I mean, it wouldn't have been an easy walk, but it would have been walkable. And I still didn't want that because the team belongs in the city. Um, and 
building out in Virginia is just as much of a problem. You st- you're still eventually you're still going to end up losing about 45 percent of the fan base. Um, Adam, you you know from from being a DC resident and being around DC residents all day. Uh, and in my experience, I've found that if I tell people that I'm going out to Annapolis from DC, the assumption is it, it, I just said I'm going to like paddle a boat to England. Um, in terms of the time it's going to take me to get there. Um, yeah, that's about right. Right. Um, so you're not going to get DC residents to come out in the same numbers uh, all the way out to where this site is, which is on the northern edge of Dulles Airport. You're not even going to get like this northern Virginia resident. Right. Like I wouldn't um, even want to go out there. And, and get so, a lot closer. Right. So, so you're losing almost all of the Maryland fans, almost all of the DC fans. Even if they would still support the team, they're not going to be able to show up and buy tickets. Um, and you're losing a chunk of Northern Virginia as well. Um, it's just it's a destructive idea to to the fan base. Uh, the team ceases to be what it is if you move it out out not just out out of the city, but that far out of the city is a, isn't a different thing. Um, being within the Beltway, at least it sort of feels like you're near enough where it, in certain areas it's like, well, this isn't that different from being in parts of D.C. If you go all the way out there, or if you, even if you had moved out into um, where the site in PG, it would have been different enough that it would have been a bad move for the, the team's soul, uh, basically, uh, has to change at that point. Um, and we've seen throughout MLS that these, these non-urban stadiums tend not to work out. Um, whereas the teams, the teams that play in a city, in a downtown or close to downtown um, area, most of them have had success. Um, most of them have seen attendance go up. They've seen their atmosphere improve. Uh, those are those are the reasons you. I mean, obviously, other than the financial reasons, those are the reasons you'd like to move into a, a newer stadium is for um, things like that. You know, better crowds on a regular basis, and you're not going to get those. Um, way out uh, by Dulles or out into Maryland or if you move to Baltimore or anything like that. Um, or Brazil. Or Brazil. Um, if you move this team to... Actually, if you move this team to Brazil, depending on where you go, uh, you might find a decent number of soccer fans, it turns out. <laughs> um, but it, it, the idea is just dumb. Um, and I know there are plenty of fans that come from out that way that would appreciate a shorter trip because it is kind of a haul for them to get to RFK or to get to Buzzard Point. Um, but I think if they put aside their own, like, oh, it would be easier for me personally to get to the stadium out here, that's not necessarily a good uh, argument when you're talking about a, a team that we're all sharing. It's not just your team. Um, so I just, it's yeah, also... I mean, that's not, you can't come, I mean, if you live out there... And you're like, well, I don't want to come to the city anymore for soccer. I mean, that's that's like stupid, honestly. Like, that's this is the team. I mean, DC is the city, so you yeah. probably work in DC. Right. Like, that's how it goes. That's what happens when you live out here. So, for me, it's not even the location that's the the most rage-inducing thing about this development, about this report. It's it's the existence of it at all. The the right. fact that that. The, the organization has listened to overtures from this, the Commonwealth of Virginia and has gone so far as to tour at least one site that that Virginia is is pushing. It especially after the ordeal that we've all gone through, not just the organization but the fans right. have gone through to get Buzzard Point to where it is now. 
lots of us went in front of the D.C. Council and testified. Lots of us wrote letters to the Washington Post or to Greater Greater Washington or Washington City Paper. A lot of us argued with people on Twitter on behalf of the team, essentially. Um, Clinton Yates referred to us as foot soldiers in his response to this today. And that's not that far off. We went Mm -hmm. to bat for the team in front of our elected leaders and said, this is a group that is going to stay in the city and they want to be in the city and that's the only place they want to be. And we knew that because that's what they told us. And now to say at the last minute, basically, maybe we'll go to Virginia after all, and not just Virginia, way the hell out Virginia. That's, it, it feels like yeah. betrayal. I feel betrayed having gone and, and taken time off of work to get involved politically on behalf of the team. That That is where my yeah. anger is coming from. It's not the fact that I wouldn't be able to go to games, although that's part of it, sure. The yeah. main thing is the betrayal. <laughs> well, I mean, if you get engaged, uh, you don't then go out on a date with somebody else. Yeah. And that's I mean, what I've never like. been engaged, but I, I feel like that's something you don't do. That's it. I, I think that's I don't, one of the things you don't need to actually experience to, to learn. <laughs> um, and, and in this case, it, it does kind of come across like DC has made a commitment, or United has made a commitment to DC and then turned around, or it has over a little bit of time turned around and is now just, you know, wandering eyes, I guess, but it's not really very good. Yeah. Even, even if it's just to, you know, push them along a little bit, it's still kind of an unscrupulous way of doing it. I think we could talk about this. This show's going to go on forever as it is, and we could keep going on this, but but let's let's turn our attention now to something a little bit happier, and that is the resignation announced today of Sepp Blatter from FIFA, the pre- the the brand newly elected, newly reelected president of FIFA will be stepping down, um, effective TBD, I guess. Um, Sepp Blatter basically said that. I don't know. I, I, I missed the actual speech. I just saw that he's stepping down and calling for a special election that it sounds like will happen this sometime between this coming fall and next spring. Um, he's not going to serve out his full four-year term. Instead, he's going to call for a special election. Uh, and he's going to go away. And, well, maybe go away. Who the hell knows <laughs> with Sepp Blatter. Um, lots of people, I mean, obviously there's a lot of euphoria and a lot of excitement and a lot of uh, will John Oliver drink the Bud Light Lime uh, in response to this. Uh, Leanne, what happens next? Is this the first step of reforming FIFA or is this just uh, cutting off one head of the Hydra and more corruption is just going to happen under a different head? Yeah, that's a good question. I think, first of all, I, I feel it's so strange to me because... I was I, I was busy at work today and I wasn't checking Twitter and I sort of got on Twitter and it was like, oh, Seth Blatter resigned and I like didn't quite believe it. And I think I, I then had multiple of multiple people like come up to be like, Hey, did you know that the president of FIFA resigned? And I was like, Yes, first of all. And second of all, like these are people <laughs> who don't care about soccer really at all. And then my dad texted me, it was like, Hey, what do you think about this FIFA thing? And he doesn't care about soccer. So it was kind of like, I think it's interesting how kind of well-known this is, first of all, in, in the realm of non-soccer fans and non-soccer followers. That's first. That, that I found amusing. But 
As far as whether this is actually a step towards reform, I think I optimistically want to say yes. You know, it is one head of a giant monster, but it's still a head of the monster, and this is a pretty big head. This is like the head. So, you know, I think coupled with everything that's going on with the FBI and trying to root out this corruption and arresting people, I, 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 I'm optimistically kind of saying, yeah, I think we're making strides in the right direction. Is this it? Like, oh, we got rid of Step Ladder, so now FIFA is better? Obviously not. Um, we might need to call in some more superheroes or something, but um, I, I want to say that we're making progress towards actual change. Jason, what do you think? I, I guess the first thing I react, my first reaction was just that it was, it's strange. I mean, he's been president of FIFA since '98. Um, I remember being in high school and trying to follow that based on what little soccer reporting you could find on the internet at the time and, and getting um, things like um, World Soccer Magazine and 442 to, you know, waiting a month to go to the um, borders in the Annapolis Mall to buy a magazine to read about uh, what was going to happen with this FIFA election and then knowing kind of that things were negative as it, as it was, it's like, this is probably not going to go over well. This is kind of a co- continuation of an already corrupt regime. No one really suspected back then how that things were not, were not going to continue as corrupt. It was going to get much, much more corrupt as, as quickly as possible. Um, so, it, it, first of all, it's just strange that um, he did I, – I kind of felt like he was going to think that this was going to go away because the reputation of Sepp Blatter is that he was living in a bubble. Uh, he didn't really understand how he was perceived or what was going on even. Um, in fact, that might be his best defense as far as the criminal side of this is that um, he can try and plead ignorance that he didn't know all of the people around him were constantly trying to get bribes and kickbacks, um, which seems ridiculous. But, uh, you know, he's kind of in a position where all of his defenses are going to be ridiculous. Um, but, uh, yeah, the whole the whole thing has just been bizarre from, from start to finish. Um, Jack Warner defending himself uh, with an article from The Onion. <laughs> and uh, Chuck Blazer is still Chuck Blazer. Um, but... Uh, I only I only hope that FIFA kind of gets that just replacing Set Bladder isn't really going to change much of anything because the people that kept Set Bladder in are going to pick somebody else that I guess keeps uh keeps the money flowing. Um and if they do decide to go with one of Bladder's enemies, I mean Michelle Platini, his reputation is extremely sketchy. Um sort of a combination of a lower level of corruption but also uh a return to the old policies of FIFA, which were basically Europe is where everything is and screw the rest of you. Um, I mean, Platini's been bad. explicit about that. Right. And, and you know, he, he he's, he's uh, in my book at least, he's if, if he's behind Bladder in terms of desirability as FIFA president, it's not by a lot. Um, it's, it's a very small margin. Um, some of the other people that have been put out there are also pretty suspect, um, it seems like they need to reform everything about FIFA, the, 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 the entire structure of the way that who's in charge of FIFA is elected, who, who elects him needs to be reformed. Um, yeah. You really need to go top to bottom to change it, and I don't know that they have the will to do that. I think they're going to say, well, Bladder's gone, so job done, right? Good job, guys. Yeah, and there's some question, I think, whether not just will, but the, the countries that 
benefit the most from the current setup outnumber the ones that really care about reform. There's a reason Blatter got 60-something percent of the vote uh, on last Friday's election, and it's because lots of countries benefited from the patronage and the current setup, and right now it's set up so that every country has one vote. And if the number of countries that like the current system outnumber the countries that want reform, that's it. Right. It's the ballgame, whether you have the will or not. It's just... What, what do we think would happen if some countries did actually get together and say, yeah, we're going to boycott the World Cup? Well, what I if, think... What like, if, like, ten, you know, like... England and Germany and the U.S. or you know, what if we all got together and we're like, eh, we're not gonna do it. We're gonna do our own like rogue World Cup. Which one would be awesome? But two, like, or is it always gonna be you know that those sixty percent of nations who actually benefit from this corruption, like, is that always gonna win? Well, it would have to be the countries where all the money comes from, essentially, right. and it'd have to be almost all of them together as a block, yeah. saying basically holding the rest of the world hostage and saying, listen, if we don't change something, it, whether it be voting or or something else, we are going to leave and you all are not invited to come with us. Right. And, and, and that would that could get sketchy in its own way pretty yeah. quickly. I mean, and, you're and running... having... I, I grew up in Indiana going to the Indy 500 every year and I, I lived through the Indy car split and what happened is it was bad for everyone in the sport. And unless you made a, a power play that worked on a very high level and worked in a very big way, that kind of split would be very bad for the sport of soccer, especially because if it's just like the U.S., Germany, and England, as as big as England and Germany are, basically those leagues get unsanctioned by FIFA, and anybody playing in those leagues cannot represent their national team in a FIFA event. And you have all the internationals from other countries leaving those leagues, which in the case of Germany is probably fine. In the case of England, not so much. And in, in the U.S., also probably fine, but not not wonderful. So, so it, if that kind of power play happened, it would have to be, it, it would it would be a really big deal. Yeah, and the thing is, you also run into just like with. Um, putting Platini in charge, you run into the possibility of the wealthy countries pushing the other, the non-wealthy countries around basically and saying, this is how it's going to be. And that's that. Um, it's a really, it's a really tangled and hard to unravel situation because on one hand, giving everyone a vote does give those countries the, uh, the option of having a voice or the, not just the option, but the actual voice. But the, the problem is of course, their representation is completely outsized. Um, there's no reason for Montserrat to have as much say in world soccer as uh, Brazil or China or the United States, just on a population basis, ignoring finances, finances altogether. Um, and, you know, you get into, uh, you know, the, how, how the United States government works, where you had to, you have one body where everyone gets the same number of representatives and one body where it's by population. Um, I don't know if that makes things much better. Uh, we see that there are ways for the U.S. Congress to not succeed uh, <laughs> on a regular basis. Uh, in fact, right. So, so it it would take a combination of res- a, a restructure of some kind that doesn't favor 
one group of countries over another too dramatically, but also you have to just find some, you have to find honest people and, you know, any structure of power involves trying to find honest people. And it's difficult to find uh, honest people that aren't going to be uh, outmaneuvered by people who are willing to be dishonest to get, I mean, that's how um, Russia and Qatar won the world cups is because they were willing to do things that the other countries were not willing to do. Um, Although apparently and, Australia was willing to do it. They yes. Just weren't as good at it. Right. The U.S. Well, was not because we have laws in this country where it's actually illegal to bribe other people in other countries. Right. If you are a U.S. citizen. So. And, and there was also a certain amount of um, just overly um, like, well, the last World Cup here was so financially successful. Why wouldn't they do it here? Um, well, it turns out it's because financially successful for everyone doesn't mean financially successful for these individuals who want you to hand them money. Um, and so, uh, it's, it, it's going to take a lot, a lot of good people are going to have to step forward. And if they really want FIFA to change, you have to go join FIFA and be, you know, powerful people that have a lot of ways where they could be very wealthy and very successful in other industries. will have to say, I'm going to put this down and go take a job at FIFA making 50 grand or whatever it is a year, uh, on, uh, on the up and up and do my best to help this organization run correctly rather than say, and this is why, you know, nonprofits in general, not that FIFA's a real nonprofit, but um, nonprofits in general sometimes have a hard time hiring the best people because a, 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 a for-profit company can always just say, look, you make more money here. That's it. Um, so it's going to be very difficult just because Bladder's gone. It's going to be very difficult for FIFA to stop being FIFA. I, swear. I will quit my job tomorrow and go over to FIFA and get these bitches in line. You know, I mean, <laughs> there, there are worse things than having to live in Geneva. Exactly. I, I feel like I, I feel like that's the the way you do it too, is you show up uh, to the doors of FIFA and like knock. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Hi, I'm here for the job. I also wrote like 95 problems that I have with FIFA, and I was going to nail them to the door. Only 95? Yeah. I feel like you could go to 99 problems, and then at the bottom you write, and Seth ain't one. I, I feel like their door is made of glass. If you nail something to their door, it's going to cause a problem. That you would be the hundredth problem. <laughs> it would Appreciate break the door, and then I would, I would be in. That's true. Uh, you'd be in on accident. I swear I did mean for this conversation on Seth Blatter to be more uplifting than it turned out to be, but... It I turns started out, out pretty upliftingly, and you took it. You did. I, I took it in a direction I did not expect me to. I cannot trust myself. I'm I'm apparently in that kind of mood tonight. Um, so it's we spent half an hour talking about something <laughs> other than soccer on the field, uh, and we have four games and a World Cup to talk about in the next half hour. So let's let's go through this, Jason. We're going quickly, okay? All right, quickly, Jason. Uh, DC United played two games last week, losing one and winning the other. Uh, on Wednesday, they went to Portland and lost one and nothing on Maximiliano Iruti's fifth-minute goal. Uh, that was DC United's B team, so a loss there wasn't that surprising. Three days later, Saturday night, after, of course, the wonderful Black and Red United tailgate meetup, uh, United allowed another fifth-minute goal, this time to Sebastian Latou, but they came from behind through Chris's Pontius and Rolf to get the two-to-one win. There's a lot to talk about in this, but because we are powering through, we're only going to talk about one thing, Jason and Leanne, and is context. 
Leanne, are you okay with Ben Olsen punting the game in Portland so that he could come out as close to full strength as possible given his injured roster against an in-conference opponent, even one as relatively weak as the Union? I am totally fine with him punting the game, although I maybe wouldn't go so far as to say he was doing that. But that's mostly because it gave Connor Doyle an opportunity to play a game, and then also he played against the Union and he wore a headband, so... There's really no way I would have come out of this not being okay with it. <laughs> More headbands. That's Leanne's point of view. Jason, are you okay with punting the, the Portland game? Uh, starting Aguilar and Doyle and I think Jeffrey. Um, guys who... And, and Luke Mishu. Guys who sometimes we rarely see on the in the 18-man roster, let alone in the starting 11. I, I mean, I understand it. I think... Depending on the player, it's kind of a thorny issue. Um, asking Luke Nishu to make his first first professional appearance in what is not his his position, uh, or even his second best position, um, is is putting him in a bad spot. Now, I, I I guarantee that United knew that they you know Ben Olsen knew that that was not what to do with him. Um, there's not really much else. There's not really much of another choice though. Um, when when you've got players like Perry Kitchen who always plays. Bobby Boswell always plays. Uh, Davey Arnold is uh, 34. Um, and always plays. Right. Uh, you can't ask those guys to keep playing without them breaking down. We saw Taylor Kemp end up coming out injured uh, against the Union, uh, and Olsen, it, after the game went asked, attributed it to the overuse because Kemp went 90 uh, in midweek, and then he played, uh, what, 25 minutes against the Revolution on turf before that. Mm-hmm. Um, so... The human body just can only take so much, and with United's injuries, there's not really a choice. You know, it's either let's risk everyone getting injured, or at some point you've got to send out guys that never play. And the Portland game happened to be that game. I yeah, flying that, seven thousand miles in a week probably right. had something to do with it too. The, the guys that played that game played better than people expected. That they played better than I expected. Um, the first impression of that game was bad. The start was bad, but the middle thirty minutes were actually pretty decent. Um, so maybe we learned a little bit about those players, even if they didn't succeed. Maybe we learned that they can they can help the full team a little more than we might have thought. Yeah, and a couple of guys in particular stood out as maybe even having a place in the first team on a more regular basis. Marcus Halstey, we all expect that once he's healthy, but, but Facundo Coria also looked pretty good um, in his reserve minutes in Portland, you know, and in, in a couple appearances before that too. So we might be seeing more of them possibly sooner than later, because the, the matches keep on coming. You see what I'm doing? I'm transitioning. I'm looking to the future now. We're going quickly now. Wednesday night, DC United hosts the Chicago Fire, uh, 7 p.m. at RFK. This one will be on Comcast Sportsnet Mid-Atlantic and MLS Live if you find yourself outside of the metro area, like in Loudoun County or something. Sorry, too soon. Below the belt. Uh, Loudoun County is part of the region, blah, blah, blah. Chicago, they are unbeaten in their last three, winning their most recent one, three to nothing, uh, against Montreal. Uh, that actually puts them above the red line. I don't think many people had the fire in the playoffs this year, but they're currently in playoff position. Uh, for some reason, though, they've played three fewer games than D.C. United. Jason, what, what's going on with the fire this year? What are the important stories we need to know about? Uh, well, the first they they played in the opening game of the season. The first impression they gave to everyone was that they were just absolutely horrible. 
Um, their performance that night against LA might still be one of the two or three worst showings by an MLS team this season. Um, it looked it looked like they had no idea what was going on, and they'd spent a lot of money in the offseason. They added three new designated players, and it looked like they had just completely screwed it up um, and that the, everything was going to be a disaster. Um, after a few weeks, they started figuring it out. Um, Frank Yellop started figuring out wh- where his players fit together. Um, David Ackham, which is one of he's one of the um, designated players they brought in, uh, got healthy, started being able to play, um, and all of a sudden they've got a very dangerous attacking midfield trio. They've got Ackham, uh, who was supposedly a forward or a left winger, he's playing on the right. Harry Ship is coming in from the left, and Sean Maloney, who played in England with um, Leicester City, is in the middle. Uh, they don't have a great striker up front. They've been sort of cycling through trying to figure out who will carry the load as far as that goes, but um, they're creative, creatively, they're a big threat. Um, they're not really good defensively. They don't have the individuals that you would want to um, start or build a defense around, certainly, but uh, they're not bad. They're not nearly as bad as they looked, and they can be really good going forward. Um, if you give them time on the ball, if they're allowed to have a lot of the ball, uh, you're going to have a problem against them. Their last three games, I think, have been 3 nothing, 2-2, and 2-2. So uh, a lot of goals being scored in, in Chicago Fire games in general. So, Leanne, last year the story of the Chicago Fire was all about draws. Set, set the record for most ties in league history. This year they've only drawn two, but they've lost five and, and only won three. Um, so those two draws are actually in their last three games. Go figure. Um do you think it's, from their perspective, it's better or worse to have a, a result, a win or a loss in every game except for those two? Or, or would they rather be, be getting those draws and getting those, those points? Because five losses is a lot at this point in the year. <clears throat> wow, excuse me. Five losses is a lot. I don't know. You know, I mean... Uh, so it's funny because I'm thinking about it in terms of like what would I want from DC United and it's like I would rather a team played like really went for it and either won or went for it and uh, whatever played valiantly but like still lost then just kind of came out and took ties all the time because that that really gets you nowhere you know like if you're losing some but you're still winning some you're still maybe getting somewhere but if you're going to draw every game you're not really going to get anywhere um that said, I hope they lose on Wednesday. <laughs> there you go. That's what we call analysis. Hashtag analysis. Uh, so Sean Maloney is going to miss this one. I I believe I read somewhere. Uh, I forget exactly what the reason is. Yellow card suspension or international call up? Some reason. Sean I think Maloney. It's call up there. I don't. I don't think he's. Actually, I don't think he's even got many cards at all. He's got two, all right. So two or three. We're going to we're going to go with call up then. Right. Uh, is he Republic of Ireland or Northern Ireland or? Uh, Sean Maloney is Scottish. Or Scottish. You know, I'm just racist today. He's like Brazilian, <laughs> I think. Yeah, he he might be Uruguayan. Um, so without their Scottish designated player, uh, what? How do you beat the Chicago Fire? How do you keep them from beating you? And how do you beat them? How do you make sure that they get their sixth loss of the season? Uh, well, the, I mean, the main thing you've got to deal with is the wings. Um, Maloney is the big name, but he has been not really the major player for Chicago. Um, Harry Ship has been fantastic for them. Um, the the more he gets the ball, the more likely 
the team playing against Chicago is going to lose. So you can't let him have the ball. Um, you have to understand he's going to wander looking for looking for the ball. He doesn't have to play um, as a left winger and just stay out there. Um, he'll switch spots with switch spots with Maloney. Um, he'll drop off. He'll push up high. Uh, he's got a lot of freedom in their current setup. Um, David Ackham will play opposite. And the other thing is that Ackham and Ship can switch wings uh, with ease. Um, Ackham is a huge threat on on the run. He's great on the dribble. He's very fast. Uh, he's got a good sense of where to go. Um, he, he's very good at finding one guy to beat rather than leaving himself with two or three people to beat. Um, he sets it up so it, once he's around that one guy, he's in a great spot. Um, those two are huge threats. You've got to not let Ackham have the chance to get running. You've got to make sure Ship doesn't um, find too much of the ball. You, you basically just want to keep him out of the game as much as possible. Um, and then after that, there's really not that much behind going on behind them. Um, their defensive midfield, uh, Matt Polster, uh, that everyone thought was a reach uh, at the draft, has turned out to be pretty decent for a rookie, but he's still pretty decent for a rookie. Um, it's been sort of a revolving door to partner him. Um, just not very solid uh, in protecting the back four uh, as, as a duo, though there, there's promise with Polster. He's just not that good yet. Um, and the back four itself, um, Jeff Lorenowitz isn't really a natural center back, and he's the best defender of the group. And Sean Johnson is possibly not even a starter. Uh, John Bush has had two or three different appearances this year, though Johnson has had some odd injuries this year. He had an arm infection and an eye injury that both caused him to miss a game, so um, or a different game. They, they wasn't all at once. Um, but uh, they're just they're not very solid at the back. So if you can expose their back four without giving up a lot of space for a ship, you should be all right. Um, Kennedy uh, Igbo Ananike, uh, I think, is going to start. I was um, wondering when you were going to get around to saying his name. Um, he's been starting of late. Um, Mostly because been... his name is fun to pronounce. Yes, um, or if you're the uh, MLS uh, English language SAP crew, uh, it's it's a variable name. You can pronounce it pretty much however you want. Well, that's true of every name they try to pronounce. Your name but could be like normally Doc. they land on one. They usually land on one uh, mispronunciation though. Yeah, it, 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 it's a different one every time. Yeah, uh, it, it's pretty awesome to try and keep track of. Um, but I don't. I'm, I'm interested to know what they're going to do about Maloney being out. Um, they don't really have, I mean, they could move ship inside, but they don't really have someone to play out on the left and take that spot, and that also kind of reduces the amount of wandering he can do. Uh, the, theoretically, it would reduce it. I don't know if Frankie Yollop is just going to say, go for it anyway. So it's they're going to be a different-looking team than normal, Not just and also it's a midweek game, so you don't know who is going to get rested. Maybe Chicago decides that they want to punt this game for whatever reason. Um, I don't think they're in a position where they can, but the main thing is, just you've got you've got to shut down their their midfield enough that you're the you're the midfield getting more of the ball and you're doing more of the attacking because if you sit back against them they're going to break you down. I think there's right. also there's also wait just one more thing there's an important <laughs> like battle off the field and on the twitters which is that the Chicago Fire have one of my favorite hashtags which is that ship cray and <laughs> I just feel like that's really important and. I just had to get that out there. But, like, Benny Watch will prevail, and, like, Headband Watch will prevail, obviously. Obviously. Yes, we can move on. All right, so that ship, Cray, hopefully that hashtag doesn't come up 
tomorrow night, uh, right. Wednesday night. I know a lot of you probably won't actually even be listening to this until after the game, so we are going to move on now and talk about Saturday's game, also at RFK Stadium against Toronto FC. Just like uh, Wednesday night, this one will be on Comcast, Sportsnet, Mid-Atlantic, and MLS Live, but why wouldn't you get out to RFK? That's my question. Uh, TFC Do you are... live in Loudoun County? Yeah, there you go. Uh, actually, we we have actually a writer for the site who lives in London County and makes it to games, so that is possible, even if there aren't. Anyway, TFC are nine points behind DC United with three games in hand. They've started the season on their crazy, crazy-ass road trip. Um, uh, they're going to be without uh, Josie Altidore. That said, they're sitting fourth in the Eastern Conference, well above the red line. Uh, some people have even said that with their all the home games they have backloaded into their schedule, they uh, they have a chance to to compete for the Eastern Conference crown, which is exactly what Sporting Kansas City did the year Sporting Park was built, and they had a huge road trip as well. So so this could end up being the first actual not terrible year for Toronto FC. Well, let's uh, not go too crazy there. Yeah, right. So Toronto. <laughs> Yeah, I want to know how they're going to end up collapsing. Um, before we, we even get to that, though, we got to talk about Saturday. They're going to be without two of their three big designated players, Josie Altidore out with, I think, a hamstring injury. Michael yep. Bradley is going to be uh, on, on U.S. national team duty over in Europe. Um, so they're just going to have Jovinko, but that's a hell of a guy to have, Jason, because he's been, he's been unplayable so far this year. He's just been ridiculously good. Well, I I wouldn't say so far this year. It's been over the last four or five weeks. Um, It's kind of funny how quickly in MLS uh, we forget March and April, apparently. Um, Because, I mean, uh, before there was a stretch of time where Charlie Davies wasn't getting in, and then he scored in four straight games, and all of a sudden he should be getting recalled for the national team. Um, Giovinco plays four or five good games, and now he's in the front of the MVP race for a lot of people. Um, but he has been really, really good lately, and we are talking about a guy that was um, a regular in Syria as an attacking player um, and has caps for Italy. So uh, he's a high-level talent playing. He's taking it seriously. He's not disinterested. Um, he, I think a lot of people knew that, because Giovinco is a very small player, and I think the assumption was that he would just get battered in MLS and that, that would be the end of that. He would be broken in half by the uh, hordes of giant angry men, apparently, that the league is full of. Um, it turns out Giovinco has dealt with that before. Um, <laughs> uh, it's kind of a kind of a, an open secret with Serie A that the bottom half of Serie A is that the teams aren't very good um, in a lot of cases. They, they have to play uh, physical and thus, a guy like Giovinco has to find a way to play around that. Um, and he's he's shown that he's smart enough to find spaces without eliminating himself from the game. Um, so he's been excellent um, in in not just in producing a big moment here and there, but in just constantly being a danger. But a lot of that lately has been helped by the fact that if if he's shut down, he can always find Michael Bradley, who can immediately open the field up again with a with a quick pass to. Um, someone on the other side or, or go over the top and put someone into the box. Without Bradley there, um, the formation they've been playing lately, which is a, a diamond uh, 4-4-2, I don't really think... I, th- their options become either dropping Giovinco into the midfield, which uh, 
didn't really work in the early part of the season. He's looked much more comfortable being as, playing as a forward. Um, they could play Jonathan Osorio uh, there, but I'm not sure he's ready to carry the full responsibility of being a, a, the playmaker for the game. Um, and it also would leave them without a left midfielder that really fits for, for their needs. So it's a good game to be playing them without two of their three best players. Um, and certainly their their recent form has not been as good as, as uh, maybe it looks on the surface. Um, so I think... It's it's not uh, it's another case of United maybe finding an opponent at the right moment. Um, it's still going to be dangerous. Uh, Giovinco is still going to be a huge problem um, for every second he's on the field because he's very good at finding a way to get into the game. Even if you say you know you can't do this, you can't do that, um, taking those things off the table, he still is good enough at finding Plan C and Plan D. So um, United really can't rely on just sitting in and hoping to suffocate him, they're going to have to make TFC do a lot of defending because then you can kind of get him out of the game because he's not really that interested in doing much defensive running. And if you can force that on Toronto, they're not really that good. Um, but you do them playing a diamond means that United's at a tactical disadvantage as far as possession goes. Um, they're going to be narrower, so they're going to have a uh, – they're automatically having an easier time keeping possession – so United's got to find a way to to stretch things out to have more of the ball so that Giovinco doesn't get going. Leanne, is Toronto going to collapse this year? And if so, how are they going to collapse? I, I want to know what comedic fashion they're going to collapse. They're going to go to the newly expanded BMO field, and it's going to literally collapse around them, and then they will just be so emotionally distraught that they will also not be able to play their home games there anymore, and they'll have to just go to a field somewhere in Toronto and we'll have no home field advantage and we'll lose. All their players will quit. I, I want to know how they're going. That, that's my prediction, by the way. I want to know if you have one or if they're just not going to collapse and they're actually going to find a way to be a soccer team this year. I don't know. Okay, So like, part of me is like, I don't want them to collapse because they've collapsed every year forever. And I, I just feel like that sucks. Like, DC United had our, like, whatever. We've had collapsing years, and we had 2013, and that was terrible. And, like, if I had that every year, I don't know, I'd, I'd die. Um, I would want to myself collapse. So it's like I kind of want them to not not do that. But it just seems so inevitable, doesn't it? Like, it just seems like this is what always happens. As, as night follows day, so too does. Yeah. And so... <laughs> Yeah, I think they collapse. Okay, here's here's what I'm going to say. I think that they somehow make it into the playoffs since basically everybody does now. And then they have, like, some amazing collapse where it's like, oh, we have some hope that we're in the playoffs and, and we're going to get somewhere. And then they just, like, do not, and they do terribly, and then they collapse. That's my Jason, opinion. you're going to predict they win MLS Cup, aren't you? No. <laughs> um, uh, after last year, uh, I predicted they would finish well into the playoff spots, and they didn't. I've decided that Toronto FC will always finish whatever whatever the spot that is the best spot that isn't the playoffs, that's where they'll finish. So this year it will be seventh. Um, uh, I assume that at some point Giovinco will decide he doesn't like to be there anymore. Uh, maybe, uh, maybe Rob Ford will get involved somehow. Uh, maybe the Toronto Argos, who are now Toronto FC's uh, biggest enemy, uh, will somehow ruin everything. Um, 
I don't really know because Toronto FC's uh, ability to amaze and astound is is endless as far as I'm I can tell. Um, they can always find a way that you didn't think of to fail, um, which is sad because a lot of their fans are are quite good people that don't really deserve that. But uh, the organization has done everything they can to make sure that it keeps happening uh, always. So I don't know. Maybe they'll just go on a run of like. 15 draws in a row at home or something. I, I, I don't know. I, Who are they, the fire? It'll be amazing. Whatever it is, it will be um, an amazing uh, and unheard of tale in MLS history that sees them miss the playoffs and finish seventh. So normally I would go more in-depth on that game, but we have a whole freaking tournament to talk <laughs> about now, and right. we are already coming up on the hour mark. So we are going well over our, our target time here to talk about the Women's World Cup, which kicks off Saturday and happens in Canada, though not at BMO Field. That's the one stadium in all of Canada of any kind where there will not be soccer as part of the Women's World Cup. I'm pretty sure there is a junior high uh, track somewhere that has soccer happening on yeah, the inside of this. Yeah, it's not a grass field in the middle of that. Every game will be on turf this year, um, which is bizarre and, and stupid. But, you know, FIFA gonna FIFA. Uh, first game is Canada versus New Zealand in, of all places, Edmonton. I think that might actually be the junior high uh, track where that one's happening. The USA is in Group D, uh, along with Sweden, Nigeria, and Australia, who is their their first opponent. Uh, that'll kick off Monday night. Um, I think Group D is considered a pretty tough draw uh, for anyone. Uh, USA is struggling, but uh, they are coming off an Algarve Cup championship. So, Leanne, yeah. are, are the USA favorites to advance out of the group? Germany's I mean, okay. a good team. Sweden, Sweden, I understand, is a little bit weakened from usual, but they're still going to be really strong. Yeah, I think... Should I, we expect the U.S. to get out of the group? All right. Yes. I'm going to go so far... Like, I think we can go so far as to say, all right, the U.S. will get out of the group, at least. I mean, like, hell, we predict that for the men, and they are not nearly as good as the women. And they were in a group of death for the World Cup in Brazil with Ben. So, yes, I think we can... I think we can say the U.S. will get out of the group. Um, it's a tough group, group, but I'm like willing to at least give them the benefit of the doubt that they can get out of it. After that, it's kind of a totally different question because yes, the U.S. won the Algarve Cup, which okay, that was nice, and they were playing some wacky lineups in that tournament, and they still managed to come out and beat France in the final to win it, which is like cool, good job, but maybe don't take that and then think that you're, like, totally invincible for this tournament. Um, they've played three send-off friendlies since then. Uh, they won against Ireland, but it wasn't that inspiring. They, they Then they won against Mexico. That was more inspiring. And then they drew nil-nil against uh, Korea, South Korea. So that was a little weird. So... Get out of the group, yes. Once we're in the knockout rounds, I'm not as confident. But I also can totally see this where we're all kind of sitting back and criticizing them. I think there, I think there's been a lot of criticism ahead of this tournament. I think there's been a lot of, Bill Ellis is playing weird lineups, which is true. 
you know, the team's not what it has been in years past. The rest of the world is catching up to the U.S. in women's soccer. Alex Morgan is not going to start. She's just not. She's not going to start against Australia. We don't know how fit she's going to be. We don't know how much she's going to play. And obviously she's a big player on this team. Given all that, it's like I can totally still see the U.S. like going to the final and just winning because that's the type of thing that they do. But I can also see them having kind of a reality knockout in the quarterfinals, which obviously I hope doesn't happen. I think Abby Wambach said recently, like, you know, like this is everything to her. You know, she, she wants to win the World Cup. She needs to win the World Cup. Um, and I, I was kind of thinking about the other day, thinking about that the other day, and I had this moment that made me really sad because I was like, what if they don't win the World Cup? And then Abby Warbach is really sad. Um, but yeah, it'll get out of the group. There you go. All right. <laughs> I like Leanne said, Jason, the send off didn't go so great, especially that last match. Right. Uh, zero zero with South Korea, and that was with a late save by by Hope Solo. Uh, not, I mean, it was a highlight reel save. It wasn't the the best save, an unthinkable save, but it was it it was a save that was forced out of her. Uh, what is wrong with the team? Is it just Jill Ellis's weird lineups, or or is oh. there something more that's that's wrong with the team right now? She did put Carly Lloyd back in the middle. She had her on the wing. It's, it's something. Um, <laughs> So, so she's uh, done something right. She did like one thing, yeah. But Other th- there's than a lot. The Algarve Cup. Right, but they, I mean, and it, a team with their talent can show up, and, and Leanne's right. A, a team with the talent that they have could show up and beat anyone. Um, and if they get on a good run of form, a good run of form in in two or three games can hide um, some tactical flaws, and they really only need to hit that form in the knockout round. Um, and really. Looking at the the matchups they will have, they probably only need to hit it in the quarterfinals to really um, to take the whole tournament. Um, but the problems are kind of kind of numerous and kind of uh, kind of strange. I mean, the four four two that they play doesn't really suit the personnel. Um, it requires Lauren Holiday to not play as a number ten, which is insane. Um, and if you imagine if the U.S. had the the U.S. men's team had a one of the top ten playmakers in the entire world, and then Jurgen Klinsmann, uh, and it might be easy for you to picture Jurgen Klinsmann not uh, using a playmaker correctly, um, but if Jurgen Klinsmann said, why don't you play underneath everyone else so that they can all attack, but you have to stay and sit in and, and be the responsible one when you're the best of them at attacking. It doesn't, it doesn't make any sense, but that's the role she's been given, is to be the more disciplined central midfielder alongside Carly Lloyd, who... Um, fortunately for Jill Ellis, oftentimes covers this over by scoring goals uh, from long range or from inside the box. Um, that doesn't really make a lot of sense. Um, Morgan Bryan being used as a wide player doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, it, the, the, the tactics, just the, they're bizarre, and they don't... The, the, I, I know Ellis at one point tried to defend the, the central midfield situation by saying... Well, look, the modern game, you don't need a defensive midfielder, but uh, I think her image of that, or, or either either her image of what a defensive midfielder is, is, like, outdated by, like, 15 to 20 years, which I don't think I don't think that's what is, is the case, or she just wanted the question to go away and gave an answer that would confuse people enough that they would just move on. Um, because a modern defensive midfielder can contribute to your attack. 
um, without being a bruiser who just destroys everyone and then passes to a better player. Um, you can build a team where Lauren Holiday gets to be what she's good at and also incorporate somebody who is a thoughtful defensive midfielder who uh, can distribute the ball as well. You don't have to have it one way or the other. Um, and the other issue is I don't know about this team's personality. I mean, Abby Wambach has decided she does not need to play club soccer uh, in the run-up to a World Cup, uh, that she can play pickup games with Nike employees, and that's going to be just fine. Um, I don't know what kind of pickup pick games they have at Nike, but I know that the ones I've been in have not really been of the intensity that I imagine a World Cup would be. Um, I imagine if you plop, if you took me from a pickup game uh, around here and then plopped me down on the U.S. team in uh, Brazil in the World Cup, I would have been slightly overmatched and also slightly taken aback by uh, the intensity involved. To be um, fair, you are not Abby Wamba. That's true, and maybe she can get a better uh, quality of pickup game than I can together at Nike. Uh, but on the other hand, it's still a pickup game, um, and she's like running hills uh, as the as the other part of it. it's like oh, I'm gonna go run some hills and then play a pickup game. Um, yeah, it's still worrying. But then she sort of like came out. Was it Ireland or Mexico? Whatever. She she like scored goals in the last, not against Korea because we didn't score goals. Right. But you know, it's it's like she. She's not playing club soccer, but then she still comes on and scores goals. So, like, I still expect Abby Wambach to score goals, but I'm, like, obviously not thrilled that she's just, like, well, not playing soccer. I, I mean, part, part of it is just the, the the amount of competition she has to live with in her day-to-day life is now non-existent because she's she knew she was on the team all along. She doesn't have to work for anything. Uh, she just has to not, like, not get poisoned or not fall into a well. Um, or go to, to Thailand. Avoid, right. Um, she, she has to show up to where they say to show up to get on the plane. Um, and that's not really how you breed somebody to be at their competitive best for a World Cup. It, it's, uh, I know she's very sure that what she's doing is the right idea, and she thinks everyone else should just leave her alone. But um, it's an unprecedented way to prepare for a World Cup in regardless of gender and regardless of year. It, it's just it's odd. Um and the, the fact that the team, I, I don't think that that team, uh, I think the individuals are strong enough mentally to live, to, to deal with life without Abby Wambach, but somehow when they all get together, it's like, well, of course she's going to be there, even though if anyone else on that team tried to pull this at all, if they even said the idea out loud and the media heard it, it would be a disaster. Uh, I mean, this is a team that made Hope Solo sit in the circle of judgment uh, for saying that she felt like she was a better goalkeeper than somebody else on the team. She was saying she wanted to play more soccer, uh, and she was punished with Circle of Judgment. Um, Wasn't it the Circle of Atonement? Well, yeah, I think you're right. I think it was the Circle of Atonement. It was something culty, case, whatever it was. You, you sit in a circle, and everyone yells at you for a while until they feel better, and I guess you just, uh, you're supposed to feel better with them, but you, you don't because you got yelled at for a while. Um <laughs> So I, I don't know that there is. Jason, there I issues. think you need to sit in the circle of atonement uh, for I, disparaging I will, the circle of atonement. I will judge the circle of atonement straight back. It, it will turn into a cir- <laughs> circle of bickering really fast. But uh, it, there there are issues with this team that are in the locker room. There are issues tactically, but in terms of the talent available, uh, they could just steamroll teams because when you've got the players they have, it's kind of difficult for teams to compete. When Kristen Press is like your third best uh, attacking creative player, uh, you, you're really dangerous at that point. Yeah, but as far as 
now, so, so like as far as mentality and all of that, I'm now thinking about like the last World Cup and that game against Brazil and that game against Canada. And it's like, does this U.S. team come out of those games with right. wins, or do they actually, you know, fall like probably any normal team would have done? And I don't know. I mean, I guess we're gonna find out if they end up in games like that. But um, it, it's kind of the pessimist in me wants to say no, they don't make it out of games like that. But the optimist in me is like, or just even even the realist, because this is the U.S. women's team, and a lot of times they just come out and stupidly just win all the time. So that could also happen. Right. And they have a tendency of scoring goals that other the other women's teams aren't necessarily capable of scoring. Um, and that's I I think earlier this year. Um, on our own internal um, Black and Red United chat that our listeners can't have access to. Um, I refer to weird. Carly Lloyd as, as a cheat code. It is too weird. You don't want to be in there in the first place. Um, but I called her a cheat code for Jill Ellis because half the time it seems like when things are going poorly, she just pops up and scores a goal. And that happens with, I mean, Megan Rapino is on this team and is uh, ridiculously skillful. Um, if Wombat comes in, she's instantly undefendable uh, for other women's teams because she's, she's just able to push everyone around and also knows where the ball's going to end up. Um, Alex Morgan, when she's fit, is undefendable. Sydney, Sydney LaRue, when she's in good form, like against Mexico, for example, uh, teams don't really – they're kind of, kind of helpless because they can't compete physically. They can't keep up with her speed. Um, so they can just sort of score – goals, if they get it going, they can score goals that cover up all of these flaws. Um, so they're kind of a wild card in a little... a wild card amongst the favorites, if that's a possible thing. I don't think it is, but maybe they are now. Sure. Why not? <laughs> so, we've been talking about the U.S. What else should we be looking out for in this tournament? What other teams? What other storylines? Other than all the knee injuries from the turf? It's <laughs> <laughs> like some like really weird... I, I told you, I'm in a mood. I'm in a weird, dark <laughs> place tonight, apparently. Oh, man. I think, you know, I think we have to look out for, obviously, the U.S.'s group kind kind of termed, I think, a group of death. Um, I, personally, want to look out for Brazil because I just sort of, like, still hate them. From... You mean Baltimore? <laughs> yeah, also that. Um, Baltimore national team. <laughs> uh... I just, like, still kind of hate them because I hold grudges, so, like, I'm keeping an eye on them. Um, All right, Jason, sorry sorry to go off the rails here. I know that's yep. normally your job, not right. mine. But now I'm just picturing, like, the Baltimore women's national team is just the cast of Hairspray. Uh, at least in some, in some cases. Uh, you have to go to the right part of town, though. All right, either, um, that or, either that or you just go to Hunfest and recruit 11 people to, right. to play soccer. And... I would either way, them, either like, way it's delightful. If this were like Hairspray and this was a musical soccer tournament, that's like everything I could ever want. <laughs> like, I will write the soccer musical. Do it. Be the change you want to see in the world, Leanne. And then she like reaches for her guitar. No, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, sorry. I, I interrupted you completely unnecessarily. Uh, which is funny because I've been talking about how long we're going, but we're just going to keep going. Oh my god, we're like probably over an hour. Um, no, I, don't, I I would also look out for France. Obviously, we beat them in the Algarve Cup, but like maybe we shouldn't have. Um, but we did, so it's fine. Um, <laughs> you know, like Germany and Sweden. I, I think Germany and Sweden. They're again, I'll say that they're that women's soccer is catching up to the U.S. 
you know, for a long time it's basically been, oh, the U.S. is the best all the time and nobody could ever compare. But that's not true anymore. A lot of people can compare. Um, if you even, even when you look at, okay, the U.S. recently won 3-0 against Ireland, but that was like, we should have won by like more than 3-0 and we did it. And maybe that's like an us problem and not an Ireland like thing, but um, I, I think there's a lot of fans out there who just assume that the U.S. women will win all the time. And that is not necessarily true, and I think it's going to be a lot harder than we think it will be, and I think there will be some surprises as far as which other teams in this tournament kind of come out and play ball on the turf. Jason, any last? (laughs) At a high school. (laughs) Track. Uh. Jason, anything you want to add before we sign off for the night? Sure. Um, the first thing I would say is that when I saw that the the city, and I'm using city loosely, uh, loosely here, uh, the city of Moncton was hosting. I've been to Moncton. Moncton is not a city. Um, it's, Wait, I've never even... I, I, I'll admit my Canadian geography isn't the best. Mm-hmm. I've never heard of Moncton. That's uh, because it's not a large city or even a medium-sized city. Um, Moncton is is kind of a kind of a small place. Uh, there's a mall. I remember that much. Um, we oh, also a soccer field apparently. So where is it? Moncton exactly is, is on the Atlantic coast. Is it in uh, Newfoundland? Uh, hold up a second. Um, I'm trying to remember. It's in New Brunswick. Um, it's near the. It's actually pretty near the water, but not on it. Um, but, uh, there's so a nice basically it has nothing going for it. Uh, there is a really nice restaurant where you can get uh, better lobster than you can get in Maine for cheaper, which is insane because lobster in Maine's already gigantic and cheap. Um, Moncton's that's a pretty good name too. Yeah. I, I remember being kind of excited about Moncton. The mall had like a miniature amusement park in it, but other than that, it was like a regular mall and the surrounding town was just sort of, uh, you know, a decent sized suburb in the United States. There was, I, I was surprised to see Moncton listed as a host. Um, the two players I would um, want to mention, uh, Homari Sawa is in yet another world cup. I think this is her uh, 25th world cup. Um, she uh, is awesome. She is awesome. So um, like at, during the last world cup, uh, before they advanced to play the U S they were in extra time and she, she suffered a tackle that clearly should have put her out, not just for that game, but for many weeks afterwards. And she sort of hobbled back onto the field, and can, it was it was like a like the kind of classic, um, you know, injured player toughs it out and then comes up big at the end. Um, she used to play for the Washington Freedom at one point uh, as well. And um, I'm kind of drawing a blank now. I said two players. I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> um, uh, I was the Homarisawa memory just sort of came back to me while I, I mentioned her. I was just going to mention that she had played in so many World Cups, um, but uh, I guess overall I'm just looking forward to um, a better World, Women's World Cup than the last one, where it was kind of clear that there were only a handful of good teams. Um, every Women's World Cup comes through, and there's more good teams. Uh, the teams are playing better soccer, they're playing, they're, they're getting, receiving better coaching. Uh, I, I think in the past, they were kind of stuck with whoever would just show, was willing to show up and be their coach, basically, in a lot of cases. And now these teams are more tactically inclined. Um, they have better players that are playing more competitive soccer, whether it's in the NWSL or in the um, European Champions League. Um, Asterisk, Abby Wambach. 
Or, yes, or playing pickup games at Nike uh, to kind of bring it full circle and make me sad again. And that is my goal tonight, apparently. Just to make us oh, sad. The other player Just to make Diana everyone Matheson. sad. Diana Matheson from the Washington Spirit is also awesome. Uh, presume, yeah. uh, assuming she is healthy, uh, that is a big question. Because she, had she plays a, for Canada. Yes, and wow. she had a, a torn ACL, and then while she was recovering from it, it looked like she was going to be fit, and then there was another uh, injury that may... I, I don't know if they've actually decided whether she's going to be able to play or not, basically. It's it's that close. But if See, she does play, she's very sad. exciting to watch. Now and you're making me sad. Panini, or whoever does the World Cup cards, uh, made her look uh, like she had spent six weeks in the desert sun. Uh, she is very pale, and the panini they put out made her look orange, and she immediately made fun of it. And that's all I have to say. <laughs> and that is where we will end it this week, uh, three hours into the show. Thank you all for listening. If you're still listening after this marathon, uh, thank you so much. Find us at blackandredunited.com. Find us on Twitter, at filibusterdcu for the podcast, at blackandredu for the website, Send us your emails. We, we accept love letters, hate mail, and advertising inquiries. Send them all to filibusterpodcast at gmail.com. We're on iTunes. We're on Stitcher. We're on SoundCloud. Um, the, the best thing you can do for us, besides going and downloading and streaming and giving us ratings and reviews at all of those places, tell a friend about the show. That's really how people find out about us and how our audience grows, which is, you know, nice for us. For Jason and Leanne, I am Adam. We'll talk to you real soon. God, I hope there's less going on next week. (laughs) Say goodbye, Jason. Goodbye, Jason. Goodbye, Jason.